This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. I'm Keith Baker. I'm Wayne Chang. And I'm Scott Welker. All right, we have a full house. Woo-hoo. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No wait, one had to die either. <laughs> right. This is great. No, I'm really happy that we're able to have everybody. Keith, welcome back. Uh, I know you've been uh, sort of jet-setting around. Well, and... you know, I've been traveling to exotic locations on fantastic adventures. Uh, and But now, now I'm glad to get back to these mean streets. Excellent. Yes. So, yeah. Hey, before we get of... started, I actually have one thing. Uh, happy birthday, everyone! <laughs> uh, oh, I just hey. realized oh, we yeah. released our f- we released our first anniversary. Um, we released our first episode one two years ago. Uh, yeah. Two years ago oh, in wow. March. In um, March, so yeah, March something uh, somewhere in the middle of March. Heights <laughs> of March. Flies. Wow! <laughs> so Time flies. We've been doing yeah. this for a while. So uh, yeah. I just I yeah, just realized no. while we were looking at awesome. the topic. So <laughs> ah, excellent. It's yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. Um yeah, obviously this has been a, a great uh a great journey and um I'm I'm you know, it's good that we have everybody here together for this. So uh yeah. Well, speaking of journeys, let's let's continue on then. And um yeah, so we're stepping off of the airship or off the lightning rail platform and into the mean streets as Keith had noted. <laughs> and in this episode uh, we're we're stepping into the fog-covered shadows to drench your Eberron campaign with noir themes. Yeah, so last episode we talked about swashbuckling action, and of course the counterpart to that in uh, in in Eberron is the noir element. Um, and uh, and actually, I do I do want to open with a question, and this is in our notes, so I apologize to everybody, but yeah. I do want to open up with a question to Keith in mm-hmm. uh, like for me like pulp action you know swashbuckling two-fisted action uh that makes sense for like fantasy i think what was it about noir that you were like i want this setting to be to have noir elements in it well there's a couple different factors that play into it uh one of the things i do want to say is uh part of the submission process for the fantasy setting search the the thing that gave birth to eberron uh, was you sent in a one-page description of the world, and one of the things was was a short description. You know, describe this in a sentence or two. And the uh, the main sentence that I had was "Lord of the Rings meets Casablanca and the Maltese Falcon." Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where we we're going right there and saying it's fantasy, but it's got pulp and it's got noir. Um, going forward. Uh, a lot of times it's called pulp noir, and that sounds like it's one theme, whereas all <laughs> along the point was it's a spectrum. It mm-hmm. has both of these extremes, and you can walk down the middle. But it was never supposed to be this is one thing. It was saying that this is a broad world that incorporates both of these ideas. I think one of the main part of it was just that was part of the original idea that I found compelling was I liked the idea of that over-the-top action of the uh, the pulps, but I also liked the idea of something darker and grittier. And part of it is because a lot of traditional high fantasy thing, which is a lot of what earlier D&D is really based on, uh, things are very black and white. Uh, goblins are simply evil, and it's okay to kill them because they're evil. Uh, You know, if you're a paladin, you're a champion of light, you know, it's one of these little details, but the whole idea that in uh, D&D up through third edition, uh, if you were a, a cleric of a good god, you had to be good. You know, that you couldn't really have that idea of the corrupt priest in the church of light because uh, mechanically you could And so it was just that idea of saying this should be a world where things aren't as straightforward and clear cut. Mm -hmm. You know, this should be a place where you have more uncertainty, you have more questions. And before we delve deeper into the topic, I'll say that was another reason that we drew the, the gods further out of the setting was again that we don't have this source of absolute truth and absolute good and evil. That uh, once you get into faith, you have more room for those questions and human flaws and things like that. 
I think that's interesting because the, um, you know, we're talking about ambiguity here in terms mm-hmm. of whether something's right or wrong. And we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later on. Um, at first when you were speaking about like, you know, like the good guys don't wear white, the bad guys don't necessarily wear black. And, and I mm-hmm. think of like things like Fawford and the Grey Mauser, Longmar, yeah. where, but in that case though, we Deep's know world. that they're doing things. Yeah. We know they're doing <laughs> things they shouldn't be doing. Like we know that those are bad things, but in this case, it's, are we doing the right thing? Like is, you know, who do we trust? Who do we not? And I think what? that, that does, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, emphasize what noir yep. uh, is, you know, one of the things I'd say that was sort of that critical part from the very beginning of, again, what what is this bringing uh, to Eberron? How is this this a factor in Eberron and, and how does it affect your campaign uh, was the basic idea of um, that you should have to ask interesting questions uh, that basically – Rather than just saying this guy's evil and we kill him because he's evil, you know, he's clearly the bad guy. The idea that is it always the right thing, right. Uh, you know, is just taking down the bad guy. You know, do you have to actually stop and think, well, who's going to fill the power vacuum? You know, basically just saying there should be a little more depth. But the key point is the players should have to make interesting decisions that we wanted these to be stories that you have to stop and think about it. Um, and that we want both choices. You know, this comes back to, to looking to, you know, last week's episode. Part of the point is groups like the Emerald Claw exist. So we can have that anytime you see the Emerald Claw, you know, it's a good idea to stop them. Right. But we also wanted room for these things where there's not necessarily a good answer, but it's all about getting the players to think about what they're doing and to have to, to really stop and consider the story. So there you are. Right. Always asking questions and, and uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that more as well. Um, Well, cool. Well, so, so before we move forward, uh, I want to list off some, some good readings I think that are uh, appropriate for this topic. Uh, I think the original labor and campaign setting chapter nine is a great uh, sort of introduction to the themes of Eberron mm-hmm. in terms of uh, what to expect from a campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like things are rarely as they seem, um, you know, the uh, like, you know, search slow, fight fast, stories don't stories always, don't end, always well. end well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I think, I think those are some of the most powerful themes that you could incorporate in your Eberron campaign uh, to really bring out that noir element. Um, Scott, you had a product recently <laughs> that came out and, uh, I'm going to shill it for you. Awesome. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Um, and that's uh mage, right? Marked cabal claw, which, uh, sounds very familiar as if there was a movie starring Gary Oldman, Tinker Taylor, soldier spy, I think is, maybe I, I am yeah. clever if nothing else. Uh huh. Um, but you really dive into, uh, you know, thinking about like cold war espionage, yeah. um, which is, you know, also a very noir heavy theme um you know you dive into that in terms of like how the organizations and such you know might be leveraged in a in a in an espionage based game yes um i'll let you talk more about that if you have more you want to say about that uh yeah so i just wanted to go into detail because a lot of folks have a a weird idea about espionage and how it functions but there are so many layers to it. You can incorporate local law enforcement and you can have human, you can have signals intelligence, even with magic. Um, so I basically split a lot of the power groups up into the variety of intelligences they would likely gather, how they would utilize that and how they would protect those assets and those resources and mm-hmm. where you would see those forming. And, and just, I wanted to just give someone a tool to say, Hey, you know, we could play an espionage campaign in a world like Eberron. Yeah, and I think what's cool is that you could use that also to think about how those organizations might interact even. Absolutely. Right? Like lo- yeah. local enforcement with like, you know, national enforcement, you know. Sure. Um, and and I just want to, you know, say that that does touch right back on, you know, again, part of that reason for why did we choose more in the first place. You know, if you take the principle of the last war – you know, this is a world that is in this Cold War situation, and that in and of itself is a sort of different situation than you mm-hmm. often see in high fantasy, uh, where we're saying this isn't a war that can be won anymore 
by a single group of heroes defeating the Dark Lord. We're in this this sort of challenging situation where again there's no easy answers. And yeah. that's that's the you know, the Cold War is very much part of where noir sort of builds out of. So right. right. And uh Keith, you had an article uh in Cobalt Quarterly number three titled yes. Hard Boiled Adventure, where mm-hmm. you focus on on noir uh gaming and, and RPGs. Yeah, and that's not uh, you know, Eberron specific. It is just speaking more broadly, but all of it directly applies to Eberron. Of course. Uh yeah. and and it is just again talking uh it about both, you know, how you create characters that fit this sort of theme, uh what the the sort of flavor of it is, and creating stories as a game master. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go look at that because I'm always looking for more on that. So I will go pick up a copy of Cobalt Quarter. Oh, there you are. Yeah. And, of course, we have Wayfinder's Guide. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, in there we have a section, Neo-Noir Intrigue, uh, and also a segment on Kalistan uh, that you authored. Correct? Yeah. So so in the Wayfinder's Guide, it starts off talking about sort of the critical elements of Eberron, and one of them is uh, Noir Intrigue. And uh, so there's a, a couple pages where we talk about some of the things we're definitely going to talk about today. Uh, and then Kalistan, basically in the, towards the end of the Wayfinder's Guide, there's three different, what I called starting points. You know, hey, if you want to kick off a campaign, uh, if you start it here, if all the characters have roots to this place, this is a way to sort of set the tone of what you're doing. Uh, Clifftop is very much pulp adventure. Kalistan is very much sort of gritty noir, uh, mean streets. Mm-hmm. And so it just sort of, uh, you know, that asks a lot of a, a number of questions that sort of fit to that. What does a group of sort of noir adventurers look like, uh, assuming that they're not, you know, spies or something like that? Right, right. So we're throwing the word noir around, mm-hmm. right? And I think that some people have a sort of loose idea mm-hmm. of what that means. Um but just so that we're clear on it, uh, so noir came about from a genre of film, mm-hmm. right? Where it was actually one literally visually dark, um, but two, where characters were um, not necessarily like you know the white knight or the you know the the guy in the white hat kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, there were crime films, they uh, or, or or even literature um, that you know were with characters who were flawed who were, uh, you know, were very cynical, very fatalistic. Uh, and they also have moral ambiguity and like the moral compass isn't always pointing in the right direction necessarily, often very self-serving um, or self, you know, looking out for their mm-hmm. self-interests. Uh, so I think, I think that sort of wraps it up. Does anybody have any, any additional uh, like sort of thoughts on, on what noir means? Um, I mean, I definitely think that that's, that sort of hits to the end of it. But I mean, I think uh, two of the the elements that uh, come up to me are, again, touching on that moral ambiguity, mm-hmm. uh, that things are not always, you know, they're not always what they seem. They're not always easy. It's not that it's just, oh, there's no good or evil. It's just that point of, well, what if a good man is doing evil things? Or if that, uh, you know, horrible, uh, police chief, well, on the other hand, like I said, if you take him away, he's the only thing keeping even worse things in threat, you know, in check. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's that no easy answers would right. be, uh, an important point to me. And the other thing I would say is very much about human motives. And so it touches on that sort of cynicism, ambiguity, but it's that point of people are driven by greed. They're driven by pride or ambition that this isn't, you know, a place where you're just the the perfect noble hero. And that as often as not, uh, the protagonists, it's not that they're necessarily greedy or, uh, you know, bad people, but they're flawed and they're often dealing with mistakes. Mm-hmm. They're in need of redemption. They're, you know, uh, struggling, uh, you know, in some ways, you know, broken would be a way to look at it. 
And part of what appeals to me from the start about noir as, as a type of story is because from the start, you want to have characters that have depth. You're not just a fighter with a sword. It's again, why, what's your tragic flaw? Mm-hmm. You know, why aren't you out there being a hero? One of the points of Kalistan is Kalistan is this incredibly crappy part of Sharn where it's sort of uh, one of the things I compare it to is Gangs of New York. It's, you know, this sort of nexus where the different criminal organizations are all coming together and beating each other up. The, the watch is almost uh, non-existent. And one of the questions I put to all of the players, if you're making characters for this, is why are you here? Like, what is it that has brought your character who could be anywhere to Kalistan and why do you stay? Mm-hmm. You know, that there's that certain level of, uh, is it because of mistakes you've made, regrets you have? If you look to the Wayfinder's Guide, not only do we have a little table of regrets, uh, but one of the little things I threw in there was this, why do you need 200 gold pieces? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the idea of saying just from the start, we're going to establish that you have a debt that you have one month to pay off 200 gold pieces to the Boromar clan or to whatever. And that that ties to that idea that, again, this isn't just about, I want to get a new magic sword. I want to do the right thing. It's about, these are the kind of, you know, these are human motives. You need to get that money or they're going to send an ogre to break your kneecaps. It's self-preservation at that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Wayne, do you have any uh, any thoughts on that? Um, more to the fact that I, I think that when uh, when you play noir, it, it's um, when you watch a movie, you kind of know what noir is, mm-hmm. you know, and especially if you mm-hmm. watch any of the older movies where it's like it's very dark, black and white, um, and there's that visual element. I think one of the things where um, – that's one of the elements that is very difficult for uh, a GM, which we'll talk about in a sec, or DM to convey that it's actually dark. And that's mm-hmm. where more so than I think any – more so than any other genre or any other way to play is the way that you speak and the way that you convey information um, mm-hmm. is, is, really, really, is really, really important. And not just that, but just the, I, I think not even just moral ambiguity, but just ambiguity in general. I mean, you can imagine, <clears throat> let's take Forgotten Realms for a sec. You're going to walk down the street. Oh, I just hit myself. Uh, you're going to walk down the street <laughs> and, um, you know, it's a bright, sunny day. Everybody's smiling or, or whatever. There, there's no sense of danger. There's no sense of, of there's no sense of danger there. But if you're to switch into a noir setting, or let's say to Eberron, and you're walking through like the bottom, you know, the lower, you're walking through lower Dura, there's a <laughs> very, very different way to describe that. And you could describe it the same way where you're like, oh, you're just walking on the street and it's, you know, you got the rain and blah, blah, blah. But there's a different force that you have to do, especially playing a role playing game where these descriptions have to be a little bit more focused on that. Um, I, I'm, you know, I've, I've not played too much um, in there, but I've noticed that, especially the DMs who can do the difference is that is really, it's not just moral ambiguity. It's that person over there could be just looking through the trash and with talking to mm-hmm. their rat, or they're a magic user about to throw the rat at you, which is going to grow into a wear rat and eat your face. There's that sort of level of of dark that needs to be conveyed, and I we'll, we'll talk about that obviously more as GM. But that's one of the things I've always I thought, especially as a as a role playing game, where you have to be a lot more focused on the what is it that I'm trying to convey. Well, and one thing I think is very relevant there is that question of how far are you going. Uh, that again, that whole point of pulp noir is a spectrum. 
And are you all the way on one end, all the way on the other? And the point is, if you're just walking in the middle, it's just that, oh, have things be unpredictable, have, uh, you know, moral ambiguity. Uh, whereas on the other hand, if you're going all the way to the end, that again is the point of the Calistan campaign. Uh, right. and then it is, you've got to go, uh, you know, dark, exactly like you're saying, part of the point I just want to call out on that before we go too far down that rabbit hole is just that point that that again is not a campaign I would run without getting the player's approval. Yeah. Because it is a very different style of uh, play than traditional high fantasy. And you just always want to make sure, you know, we're all essentially making a movie here. Is it the same? You know, do we all want to see the same movie? Right. Right. Um, I think it can be the. Oh, go ahead. No. I was going to say, and and that's very much that point of when I ask all the players with Calistan, I'm like, why are you here? Because, you know, this isn't, this isn't the Hobbit, you know? So, right. Yeah, I think that's the uh, that also helps with the distinction between something like the Maltese Falcon, where Sam Spade's having an affair with you know Iva, mm-hmm. uh, versus say Sin City, where you have Marv literally breaking people's faces, you right. know, and and that's and how how dark and how um, hardcore you want to get with that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think that's a conversation that maybe the GM should have with the players at the beginning. Yeah, yeah you have absolutely. To. I mean, it's the thing about noir is that everyone, to include the play, to the characters, are normally, like he said, they're broken, but they're disgusting human beings, right? They all have some flaw, and you have to have your players buy in. And there are some really dark themes. There's very few film noir that don't touch upon very, very mature themes, especially for a modern 2019 audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, the biggest thing in noir is you can't just have the players want to defeat the villain. You right. you got to make them hate the villain with visceral, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. raw fury at the table to where yeah. they are willing to start doing anything. And, but they also have to understand that it's, it's a tough balance to get them to understand that, hey, when you mess up the watch, they're going to beat you senseless in an alley and there's nothing your characters are going to do about it. Right. Because the force is going to be overwhelming. Well, or, and, or even that, you know, not yeah. necessarily that you hate the villain so much, but just you have to put that villain down. Otherwise, yeah. he's going to put you down. Absolutely. That, yeah. uh, but. <laughs> but no, no, but you hit on a really important point there, uh, which is when you're going full, full dark, you know, as it were, there's the two aspects of first. Uh, and this moves a little into to player territory, but it does cross the line of, you know, like I say, if you look to the Wayfinder's Guide, one of the things we have is a big table of regrets. Everyone should yes. have regrets. And part of that is because those should be part of what is a game master you're building the story on. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's we owe 200 gold pieces to the Bormar clan uh, or whether, you know, you used to be a spy for the King's Citadel and uh, you, you know, you're on the run. Uh, whatever it is, the players need to, to sort of build those stories so you can build on them. And that's why, again, you have to, to start with the players. Yeah. But the point you made uh, a moment ago that I really think hits it is the players have to get that concept mm-hmm. that there are things out there that are bigger than you. that you can't just beat the crime lord because frankly he's got too much you know too much power because there's often a certain concept uh certainly traditionally in in dnd that as a game master i'm not going to throw something at you that you can't handle (laughs) uh and and to me it comes back to the the scene in rages the lost ark where bellic takes the the idol away and that a lot of dnd players would just assume, well, we if we fight, we could win this. We've got a chance at it. And you have to tell people there are fights you cannot win in this. Yeah. It ties to the point, stories will not always end well. Right. And so that has to be an understanding so people realize uh, what that's going to do. This also touches on an important sort of side point of uh, another thing that you have to decide is what are consequences? Uh, basically is this about something where death is on the table? 
Uh, or are there other consequences you're going to drop in because again, uh, there should be forces the players can't handle, but you don't want to just say, and then you just got killed and, uh, and the game's over. Right. Yeah. And so having that sort of discussion and, you know, that's, that's a whole sort of different topic. Uh, but just the question is, what does that look like? You know, what do you stand to lose uh, if things, if you push things too far? Hmm. Well, one of the things I like just reminding, reminding me like what Scott was saying about hating the villain and whatnot. Um, you guys remember, uh, was it Dark Knight? And at one point, yeah. Two-Face, he says, you know, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I think that's a yep. like, and th- that just I couldn't remember the exact quote. That just comes back to the fact <laughs> is that here's your dichotomy. Here's your ambiguity. It's like, <clears throat> yeah, you might die the hero, but you might do things that, yeah, you kill the villain at the end, only to take his or her place. Um, you know yeah. that that's a it's a big well, thing. Well, and that's a sort of critical point again to the well what are the consequences of killing a villain? Right. And right. you know that it's not necessarily like, well, that solved all their problems. No. Um, <laughs> no, you, you just made a power vacuum. But that's a critical point. And, and again, we're talking now more the deep noir than just, oh, casually putting some of these themes into the thing. But one of the critical points is this is why I was pushing the idea of the starting points in uh, Wayfinder's Guide is because to do some of the things we're talking about, players need to have an attachment to a place. You need to be staying in the same place long enough that we get to know the villain, that we get to know the corrupt watch people, that we have a neighborhood we care about or things we're afraid of losing. And, you know, by contrast, pulp quite often we want that we're globe trotting we're seeing something bigger and more exotic every time whereas noir we often want to get deeply tied to individuals or places recurring villains are very important um and and that again that's something to me that's very important to get player buy-in and player investment you know part of the thing in doing that kind of Calistan thing where we say, well, why are you all in this crappy neighborhood? But it's also going to be, what are the places or people that you actually care about here? Mm-hmm. You know, which of the the taverns is your tavern? Uh, you know, who's your mentor? You know, et cetera, whatever it is, because you want people to feel like, you know, it comes back to any of those, uh, you know, the noir movies in a way the city is a, is a character as well. And that's more important here than it certainly is in a, a full pulp adventure. Indeed. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's go ahead and formally dive into the GM's portion of this conversation. Then I mean, we, we've sort of touched mm-hmm. on some of these things already, mm-hmm. and uh, so let's let's just kind of like like more specifically focus it, I guess. Um, so we already talked about like you know the search slow fight fast uh, concept from that, you know, chapter nine of the original book. Um, and I think that's important because that really is an element of pacing in noir films. Right. When you watch a noir film, there's not a lot happening. What's where the story <laughs> lies yeah. is very heavily in the dialogue. And, and it's the silent moments where like, you know, the detective or whomever is, you know, searching the room or they're observing somebody or, you know, there's a conversation and everything Everything is revealed either through that dialogue or through what you see on the screen, mm-hmm. and uh, and I th- and I think that's a very different experience than say like a dungeon crawl where you're just going to the next room, killing a bunch of stuff, you know, stealing their stuff, right. so <laughs> take on. Take stuff, yeah, right. <laughs> Kill the monster, take its stuff, right? Yeah, um, rinse repeat. And I, but I think it's <laughs> I think unless you prepare your players for that, um, it could seem frustrating. For a right. player who's not expecting that, because they're like, when's sure. the next combat? When's the next combat? Right. Um, um, yeah. And and again, that's got to be part of why it's more important in a noir story than a pulp story uh, to have the players have those backstories, have their regrets, have their mm-hmm. debts, uh, because part of that point of the regret is what is it you're trying to overcome? What is it you're seeking redemption for? Uh, and... 
just having that thought, you know, well, I was a Denise Blade Mark, uh, but I was betrayed and framed for a crime I didn't commit. And damn it, someday I'm going to uh, get revenge on both the guy who framed me. And I don't know if it's even possible for me to, to you know, uh, restore my reputation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, basically, as long as I'm thinking about that kind of stuff, not simply, but, you know, and also I hate anyone who betrays anyone. Yeah. You right. know, as long as I'm thinking about things in those kind of stories, and I realize my story isn't just about hitting someone and getting a bigger store <laughs> sword. It's about, you know, I hate traitors. You know, it it gives them more reason to engage. Yeah. And then uh, the GMs, with that kind of story. Yeah, the GMs have to play on every little piece of the background, mm-hmm. right? If you if you're if you're a, a fallen soldier or a fallen night you know, watchman, yep. you, you gotta have that interaction where you're disdained. Mm-hmm. Right. right by the authorities and well you gotta yeah <laughs> yep yep no i mean and and so that is the point is it is why this session zero is so much more important for a heavy noir than uh than for you know again pulp lends itself more towards the classic dungeon crawl you know we're going somewhere we're fighting a thing noir has to be it's more about again challenging questions you know mm-hmm. thinking about what we're doing and that means the players need themselves to to have questions they need to answer you know things they need to think about yeah. um i will will throw in you know one of the the elements that we've called out is stories don't always end well right mm-hmm. and that can be the bad guys win but it can also be victory comes at a cost or they're just, it isn't possible to have the complete victory you were hoping for. And uh, one example I'll just throw out from one of the Calistan uh, adventures I've run in my personal game uh, was a story where, you know, I started out uh, by just introducing, uh, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before here, but I introduced, you know, a, um, sort of a crazy beggar in uh, the neighborhood who I said his name was Newsy and he basically would collect old chronicles and like issues of the Shrine Inquisitive and be like trumpeting them to people as if they're news, even though they're, they're really old. And I just said, each of you tell me about some personal interaction your character has had with this guy. He's, he's a staple of the neighborhood. And everybody did come up with a, oh, you know, the barbarian from the Eldian Reaches is fascinated by him because he thinks it is all news. And the <laughs> the sort of homeless wizard, like, oh, they sleep in the same sort of shelter. And people came up with something. And, you know, short form, it ends up that he gets basically used for horrible necromantic experiments by the uh, the Emerald Claw and... Uh, you know, there's there's basically no way they can save him. It's just a horrible, he becomes a horrible zombie creature and you have to kill him. Right. And part of the point in doing that, even though the players have to sort of buy into this, is by the end of the adventure, the players actually cared about this guy. They were pissed off uh, <laughs> that A, this was done, and B, that there was no way to save him. And the point was that it's back to that hating the villain that Scott was talking about earlier is this is the kind of thing of that villain wasn't even in the adventure, but we knew he was responsible for this. And the fact that, again, there was no way to beat him. The thing we had to beat was our friend who'd been turned into a monster. But we also, that's setting, you know, that's one more block towards when we do get to this guy, we are going to make him pay. Nice. Wayne. Yeah. I mean, Two points to that, I think. <clears throat> the first one is, I, I put this at the end as a sort of a, a point, but you guys have really brought something up, and I, I think it kind of fits, is that this is a very, very customized story. Um, noir Adventures mm-hmm. is very customized to the characters, because really, we're talking about, like like um, Christian was saying earlier, we're talking about the dialogue between characters, the dialogue between good guy, bad guy. We're talking about the scenes um, it, it's really about the the players, about the characters. It's not about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For yeah. Sure. It, it's not about I take a stick and hit something with it. And 
one of the th- <laughs> one of the thoughts I was having was if that's if that's the case, and let's say some people are not good at noir or or some of that stuff. Number one, is it even possible to write a blanket noir adventure um, that someone can just pull off the shelf and run Eberron Noir? I, I don't know. Um, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and number two is if it is possible, how much customization is that going to require for that person to run it uh, uh, without without talking mm. about pregens, well, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean. I'd, I'd say like when I look to things I've written, um, I wrote an adventure for um, Dungeon back in the day called uh, Steel Shadows. Mm-hmm. And that certainly was more in the noirish direction, even though it was just a, again, off the shelf run for whoever. Uh, and part of that, you know, and this is where, again, we said it's about the spectrum. This wasn't all the way on the far end because it is hard to do that. But it was, as I said, down on that end of the spectrum. And part of the point again of that was you're down in the cogs dealing with the warforged laborers who are dealing with prejudice from the human workers. And basically you're dealing with this, these situations that there's no way you can solve this overall problem. Like this is just a crappy situation uh, and, and you can't fix the broken world. And then meanwhile, it was another situation where you're dealing with basically an innocent person who's been, uh, pulled into darkness mm-hmm. and you can win, you can stop the bad thing, but it's still a case where that doesn't save the innocent, you know, and that you're still left with, a uh, like I said, you know, uh, looking to the newsy example, you killed the monster, but you haven't actually the the bad guy who set all this emotion still hasn't been punished, and that's the big story that you're working towards. So to me, it's more compelling. The deeper it is, the more personal it is. But as I said, Steel Shadows is an example of a noir directed, you know, noir end of the spectrum adventure that is an off the shelf. I think there's also opportunity to um, take an existing adventure, look at some of the NPCs that um, that the the players might be encountering, mm-hmm. and just cherry pick a few and say, mm-hmm. you know this this person. Yes. How do you well, know them? What's your relationship like? You know what what do you think of them? You know. Sure. And 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 that i think is that critical part that that you know it's the newsy example but the more you do of that the better of just ask players questions and and exactly that you were uh, you know if your fighter served in the war well you know you served with this guy what mm-hmm. was it the, you know what was tell me something about the the two of you and your time together right so right. yeah absolutely and uh you know i was going to mention scott you mentioned the the backstory cards last episode i was episode. just thinking about those i just drawn out the i drew out the the map to them i <laughs> I, I literally bought them today and yeah. i got the pdf i'm getting the the cards the physical cards uh print on demand through drive through and, yeah. uh, and i was what's that uh, can you can you elaborate? Oh, yeah. we discuss. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So backstory <laughs> cards. Uh, they were designed by oh, uh, one of the fate guys. What's his name? Um, why am I, I drawing a blank on this? I know I'm. It's I'm terrible at who it is. I can see his oh, face too because he's yeah, in the yeah, video. Yeah. Uh, in any case, what they are, anyway. it's a deck of cards, and there's there's some you know basic rules on uh, how like each of these cards has like certain symbols on them, but it also has a description like you and this and other people player or other pc um have a dark secret whatever you know and and there are very like noir type yes um uh proposals in in these cards which is really cool like you know there's a dark secret or there's something you guys did some horrible act you guys did together or you know what was it and so on uh and they even have like sort of maps of like if you have four players you know target it this way if you know right players furthest from you that kind of thing no it sounds it sounds very much like a um fiasco in a way and and one thing that i've actually had heard some people do i haven't personally gone quite that far but i've uh, heard people who actually just play their session zero as a round of fiasco i I did that once and just make characters that way 
Um, I'll say that in the Wayfinder's Guide, you know, it doesn't go that deep. But again, we have the table of regrets and, you know, just mm-hmm. glancing at, at those, you've got you squandered your family's fortune and brought shame and ruin to your household. Uh, while you were serving in the last war, you were forced to abandon an injured comrade. You don't know if they survived, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that's something that then, okay, great, is the game master Am I going to bring them back? Or are you going to find out what horrible fate happened to them because you left them? You know, uh, you murdered a rival. Your actions may have been justified, but your rival's face still haunts you. Right. And again, while well, I can pick that up, what am I going to do with that? What are the consequences? Do they have a relative who's going to come looking for revenge? Um, then there's also, as I said, that the debts, we, you know, is a similar thing of uh ideas for why could you need 200 gold pieces and you know that could be straight up uh you know you were making a delivery on behalf of the bormar clan and you lost the merchandise you know it's it's hand solo you you dumped what you were smuggling yeah uh on the other hand it could be something where it's uh you know you've got an opportunity you know if you can get 200 uh gold together within this time this guy says he's got this crazy artifact you know and so it's it's that there can be lots of reasons uh but it's still about giving you hooks both for you to think about this person and for the um game master to to draw into yeah and i would also just say that it's the same thing we've already talked about in the past about this is definitely an important point to bring the war Yes. into things yes. uh you know the personal what did you do but also the impact on the world mm-hmm. yeah the uh just for the sake of crediting uh ryan macklin uh oh, and, yeah. and the artist that is daniel solis so. oh great mm-hmm. yeah yeah and just uh, like i have a couple here in front of me um just two examples you have a vested interest in place as it stands right now what happened last time you had to support or defend it Another one is you and PC work to undermine or directly combat one of group's machinations. What did that conflict cost you and what did it mm-hmm, cost the mm-hmm. group? Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's just some examples. No, no. Uh, and that's exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, a you know, exactly the kind of question one should be asking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but to me, coming back to the war mm-hmm. and, you know, this is a very big part and, and in part, you know, this is part of what, drove the flavor of noir in the first place with world war one and world war two right uh the the way that changed our general look you know outlook on the world and so in eberron you know we want that sense of remember nobody won the war and not only did nobody win it it ended in a way that leaves us wondering if the end of the world is coming you know is the morning just going to spread and consume us all and so it adds both this aspect of, you know, uh, there's we know now there's conflicts where there's not a good outcome because we've just mm-hmm. all been in one. But then you also have what did the war cost you personally? What do you see in its impact on the world around you? Um, and going back to as we talked about with the Cold War, the fact that there are now conflicts we can't solve with right. force. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, God, there's so much good stuff here. <laughs> one, one, of, one of the other things I'll jump onto with that too is also to say this touches again on some of the other topics we've talked about because it is yeah. about the fact that it really is baked into the theme of the world. And this is the dragon marked houses is that the dragon-marked houses are really these vast, powerful entities that are fundamentally driven by greed. Mm -hmm. That, you know, these aren't good or evil. They're businesses. Mm -hmm. And uh, that back to that, these are forces that play a, a powerful role in the world. And like I said, they don't give a damn about good or evil. They're just here to make some gold. And that's part of of tying into that noir flavor of some of the greatest powers literally are just people looking to make a profit. I think one of the things yeah, that Yeah, I uh, think that uh oh go ahead, Wayne. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. sorry. I I think one of the things, especially with what Keith was saying, is one of the things that really drew me to Eberron <clears throat> at the very beginning, um obviously this this is not just noir stuff, but 
Um, I, I'm a personal fan of Shadowrun. I, I love Shadowrun. And it really, really mm-hmm. reminded me of that said, <clears throat> you could look at the sunny side of Ebron and you're looking at the sw- kind of like the swashbuckling side. And for those listeners who kept asking us how to swash your buckles or buckle your swashes, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that in another different episode. But sorry. Thanks, listeners. I know you guys are, are mm-hmm. making fun of us. It's great. Um, but if you uh, kind of do the flip side of that, <clears throat> it looks like an Eberron, it looks like a, a Shadowrun campaign where you have mega corporations that you can run against mm-hmm. or for, uh, you know, big, um, you know, still relatively powerful nations and, and whatnot. And the dark side is that everybody's running. There's a bunch of greed going on. There's a bunch of stuff going on, and uh, that really always felt like something that was that was really really. Really, really interesting, and it was really that noir side that you kind of you kind of look and go, who do you trust? Because if anybody who's ever played Shadowrun, sorry, I'm bringing a different genre in here, but anybody who's mm-hmm. played Shadowrun mm-hmm. knows that you don't you uh, you know count your bullets, uh, don't trust a Johnson, and never make a deal with a dragon, right? Like that 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 still pretty mm-hmm. much just, that pretty much describes uh, you know <laughs> that still pretty much describes you know uh, Eberron. Yeah. Um, the second thing is, uh, I guess. A, a, one thing, I guess, as a DM's perspective, the easiest thing, or maybe not the easiest thing, but the easiest way to so- sort of dip your toe into noir is, I really feel, is a mystery. Um, it's the kind of noir light. If you don't kind of throw a lot of the, the elements and themes in there, it is the way where mm-hmm. any character can interact with a noir story without having to throw a lot of stuff in there, as long as there's a compelling reason why they're going to be looking at this mystery. You know, obviously murder mystery is a, a big deal, but, you know, a couple of things like that where there's just, um, that's a really good element to start your your story elements in there. Start being like, because that's something that you can't just go hit with a stick. Yeah, maybe at the end you find the bad guy and you go hit him with a stick. So you still have that swashbuckling thing, but um, that's where you have a lot of ideas right. to go. And- yeah, and and that's very much uh, when I look to Steel Shadows that I mentioned before. It is exactly that point of it is a mystery, and in trying to get to the bottom of it, that's where you have to be sort of getting down among uh, these unfortunates in the city and sort of seeing, uh, you know, this is the point of for that. We don't know that your character has regrets or any of these sort of things, but you're dealing with people who do, and yet, and it's right. about talking to them and being part of that world, not just running in and hitting something. Uh, so part of it is that mystery inherently involves you uh, having to engage with the story and to think, you know, I, I said at the very beginning, it's about interesting decisions, uh, you know, having to, to think about the choices you're making. Uh, and that's very different from, as I said, a sort of Emerald Claw. We know they're the bad guys. Anytime we see one of them, quick hit them, you know, situation. I think that, uh, that, that, that plays on something I, I was thinking about and with regards to um, as a GM playing with the players' perceptions of things, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but not, not necessarily to like mislead them, but just right. let them, you know, letting them draw their own conclusions but keeping clues, you know, that raise the right questions. Going back to what you were saying earlier about questions, right? Like having interesting questions that they have to ask and having clues that that do prompt those kinds of questions. Well, um, and, and, and this is the thing is this is where you get, you know, betrayal. You get things like that. And part of the point is you don't want that to be so common and so endemic. Oh, or, or the person we're working for, you know, messed us over. You don't want that to be so commonplace that it loses its impact because at this point we expect it. Uh, but you also want to have that point of there's not a lot of things you can rely on. Right. Um, and, and that's a, a fine line to walk, but it's an important one. But it could be something like, you know, that person who came, that patron who just came to hire you, you suddenly see them the next day handing a, you know, on the street, handing a package to somebody and disappearing into the alley. Right. Like, what is that about? Right. You know, that's, and I think that's, you know, those are the kinds of things without like hitting them over the head with it, but making it intriguing and and interesting. Well, and that's, what's interesting going back to the dragon marked houses is that point is, you know, going in, Mm -hmm. they're not good guys. 
You know, you're doing a job because part of the point is this is where we have to establish what is it the players actually want because saving the world probably isn't it. Right. You know, and it may be, well, what you want is 200 gold pieces because you got to pay off that bounty. Right. You right. know, um, and this is basically it's the let's just flip back to Star Wars. You know, uh, Solo's the the noir character and Luke's the the pulp. Right. You know, and uh, he's not in it for the, the revolution. He's in it because he's got to pay <laughs> off the, the crime boss. Right. Um, and, you know, this is a point where obviously what happens there is he's a noir character who stumbled into a pulp adventure. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but it is that point, you know, going back to, to Shadowrun as it was described of it's also that thing of the thing about Eberron is we always say from the start that the players are remarkable characters. And that is important that you should feel that uh, you do have remarkable talents, that you are someone who can do things that others can't. But in noir, coming back to what we were saying, it's always important to understand. And there are things bigger than you that you may be a remarkable person, uh, you know, as a fighter, but that the house Kenneth is a giant multinational mega corporation and, they're just on a different level. Uh, you're not going to like bring them down somehow. <laughs> well, let's um, with that in mind, let, let's go ahead and step deep into players territory. Cause I think that's, mm-hmm. that's a really good um, point to make in that. Um, I think, I think players can take the perspective of you know, looking up at a dragon marked house, right? Like if all of a sudden your investigation points you in the direction of a dragon mark house, the reaction should be, Oh, right. Like, like, Oh, I don't want to deal with this, but I've got to, um, just because these are very powerful people. They have resources mm-hmm. and they have secrets and they have mm-hmm. ambitions. And the last thing you want to do is to get tied up in that. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you need money. And I, I Unless you need money, <laughs> but I also I, I think with that too is is motivation with and, and disposition. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the last war, right? You've mm-hmm. been mm-hmm. very adversely affected by the last war, and I think a good question is, what happened and how? You know, like how are you affected by that thing that happened? Um, a lot of times, characters in 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 war stories uh, either have psychological or even physical scars. Right, that mm-hmm. change the way Absolutely. they see the world. Um, mechanically, you know, we have systems that support that in, in different uh, in different ways. So, for example, back in even on Arth- Arcana uh, for for version three point five D and D, there was flaws that you could experiment with uh, for your characters. Um, we have backgrounds now in five E, which can really help with that. We already talked about the table of regrets in Wayfinder's Guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Savage Worlds has hindrances, for example, mm-hmm. and then Fate has you know aspects that you can you can play off of as well. And and I mean, this also ties to you know five E in general. Also, just has the concept of flaws. Mm-hmm. And this is the basic thing: is sometimes it can be hard for people to sort of want to make a flawed character uh, because my character is perfect. My character is a hero. My character is, you know, who I want to be. And part of the point of flaws is that it's, it's the thing of, but this is what you're working to overcome. Right. You know, this is the regret. This is why you're seeking redemption. This is why you're, you know, what you're on the run from. Right. And that gives you. Yeah. You succeed despite the flaw. Yeah. Despite the flaw, or also it's just something to be tr- striving to overcome. It gives you a, right. a thing to be fighting. And so don't look at it as, oh, my character's crappy because I've got this thing. Look at it as this is why this character's story is compelling or interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's it. The story that's compelling or interesting. And I, and I think that goes back to the GM setting the tone, right? Mm-hmm. Like set that expectation. Like, yeah, you're going to have this flaw, but that's, what's going to make it really interesting in the story as it unfolds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I will, I will note looking to the Wayfinder's guide for Calistan, you know, the way it starts off is this discussion of how do you set the tone? Why are the players here and what do they want? Uh, and, you know, looking to the, the, why are you here? It talks about things like 
Do you have basic roots in the district? Like in the campaign, you know, I've been running two of the characters basically were born in an orphanage that ended up collapsing because it was condemned. Uh, and that, again, this is sort of where they grew up and they have ties to other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could also have, you know, are you in hiding? You know, one of the points of Kalistan is that the watch doesn't go here. So on the one hand, it's a safe haven if you're on the run from somebody. And on the other hand, also, if you yourself are a criminal or a charlatan, mm-hmm. well, this is a good place to be doing whatever you're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, and then another aspect is something I've talked about in the past with Kabara is this idea of does your character have a role in this community? If you're a cleric or a paladin, are you trying to protect these people? Are you trying to help the the downtrodden or, you know, uh, do compassionate works? You know, are you essentially the local preacher? Uh, you know, if you're in a lawless place, are you trying to uh, to protect any piece of it? You know, again, well, there's our favorite bar. I'm basically the bouncer, even though it's unofficial. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is back to that, to thinking, do you have a connection? It's not just that you happen to be here. Can the players in any way have a sense of ownership, if you will, you know, some piece of the action? Yeah. Like, for example, you could be somebody who did very atrocious things during the last war, and now you're seeking redemption, you know, in a town in Kabara by you know running a mission right and then all of a sudden the bad guys come into town and now you gotta you know pick up that sword again yeah uh uh uh, one you know a campaign i've always wanted to run and i never have but i've always wanted to put together a campaign that is basically uh the players are a a basically oriented around a a small time underboss for the bormore clan And it's just like one of the players is, this is your territory. And, you know, the other players are, oh, you're rogue. Well, you're basically the, you know, the hitman. Uh, You know, basically look to all the backgrounds. Ah, charlatan, you know, okay, you're going to be, you know, handling our, our uh, uh, doing negotiations and such. But basically saying you're trying to hold this small territory. You're dealing with Dask. You're dealing with, you know, rivals within the organization. And can you build it up? Right. And, you know, the basic point being over the course of the the campaign, how far can you go? Mm. Um, but that, again, is a very specific kind of story. And the whole point would be every character would sort of have a place in that, even if one of them specifically technically the boss. Right. I'm I'm thinking about like um, uh, powered by the apocalypse stuff, um, where they have bonds. Like there's very specifically, they talk about bonds to certain things, mm-hmm. um, and or certain players. Right, usually it's a bonds between players. But you know, talking specific, talking about like um, a bond to a place. Like we talked about this earlier, because um, we're mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. This is not a. It's not a swashbuckling adventure. This is you're not gallivanting over the world. You know, redlining to somewhere else. Um, a friend of mine, Phil uh, Phil Vecchione, he wrote a game called uh, Hydro Hackers op- Hydro Hacker Operatives H two O, but it has mm-hmm. a mechanic in that. It's a powered by the apocalypse, apocalypse game, and in there, it has a mechanic specifically dealing with what's called neighborhoods. So there's stuff that you do that basically you can do to build your neighborhoods. Now I haven't read I haven't read this section. I've never played this section of the book, um, but. Um, we don't have mechanics for that in, let's say, fifth edition, but that's something that really is a bond to the character and bonds you to a certain area. And I think it really just falls into what Keith just mentioned about uh, being an underboss uh, of the Bormore clan, is that you have this neighborhood. It reacts to certain things. It does certain things. The DM can make it do certain things. You know, if it's if you're doing well. Um, or you threaten too many people and they want to rise up against you, whatever it is. Um, I think it's a really, really cool idea, actually, because it does really play into that grounded uh, – I don't know if that's the right word, what we're talking about, but that really grounded theme of you're, you're not getting that potion to fly. You're going to walk – you know, gumshoe, you're going to walk and, and do this and whatever, and you're really going to be connected to to this place. Uh, and, and like I said, like you know, we've got – We've got certain things, lots of different games that do that sort of thing, either mechanically or as part of the character generation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So a weird thing that honestly just occurred to me while we're talking, uh, you know, right now, but I'm still like, hmm, 
Uh, I might have to try this at some point. I will say uh, I was watching Westworld when I was running my Kabara campaign and the way that they move back and forth in time. I was very much considering having one adventure where I just sat everyone down, gave them 10th level version of their characters and they're fighting a demon in the, you know, the burning uh, sort of their, their burning village. Uh, and just running that adventure and then like basically going back to third level the next time and being like, yeah, I don't know when that's going to happen, <laughs> you know, but just this, this is something that happens in the future. But I almost like the sort of lower key variation of that would actually be to have each player say, well, I want you to tell me two terrible things that are going to happen to you at some point in your life. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to, you know, uh, be horribly betrayed. I'm going to, you know, it's almost sort of interesting uh, to sort of have this little checklist of maybe they'll, you know, no one's going to say they absolutely will happen. But, uh, but that on the other hand, if I have on my little list, oh, you're going to jail sometime. Hmm. That could, you know, I mean, uh, it would be an interesting sort of thing to, to have that. I know there's bad things ahead, but I don't know when or how they're going to come. And I'm just thinking again to those just where you have those movies where we start with a person in a bad situation and then we're like, but how do we get here? Right. So anyhow, as I say, that's yeah. totally random off the top of my head. No, no. I've <laughs> not done this before. That reminds me of the scene uh, out of sight where he's in the car trying to start it, you know, and the car's not starting and he had just robbed a bank <laughs> and he's just, and that's how it opens. Right. Like, you know, he's, right. he gets arrested, you know, goes to jail. And, and so, like I say, it was, it was purely just, it's sort of an interesting of, well, we always have a character's background. Mm -hmm. That's the standard thing, but it would almost be interesting to say, you know, and you could, you could add a good thing, say, tell me two good, you know, one good thing and two bad things that are going to happen to you at some point in your future. Yeah. Uh, and again, they may never happen in this campaign. I'm not promising we'll get to them. But these are three pieces, three things we know about your ultimate story. Uh, and it could be kind of interesting. Oh, interesting. So uh, I want to I want to dip a little bit back to or toward the last war and mm -hmm. and sort of the effects of that, because, you know, dealing with a Cold War uh, that still exists uh, as a player character, you know, your, your character may or may not be tied into that Cold War. Right. So, and I think that raises a good question about loyalties. So for example, you might still be serving your country, you know, using, uh, you know, Scott's mage, right? Mark cabal or claw, or, you know, you might be, you know, maybe you previously served for example, right. and you mm -hmm. don't anymore. You left, you're like, I'm now, I'm done. Don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of the war. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, so I, I think that's an interesting thing that to, to, to bring to light for your character is where do your loyalties lie? Is it to yourself? Is it your friends? Is it your country? You know, like who do you, who do you genuinely serve? Most Noor stories and uh, you know, it's, it's serving self, but I think mm -hmm. there's still opportunities for, for exploration there. Um, well, and, and that's where I was talking about uh, giving people a role in the community mm -hmm. uh, is, and this was a very big part of my Kabara campaigns. Uh, which which also leaned more in the noir side, though not quite as as severely. Uh, but part of that is the point of saying, well, you're the sheriff, or you're the preacher, or you're looking out for the interests of the mining boss, uh, and that that was the point of over time the players are going to build up affection and loyalty to one another. If you don't already have that balance to their background, like right. the background guards were doing, uh, but giving them all something that they care about in the place. Yes. Uh, gives them basically, if not a common goal, you know, well, you care about this piece and I care about that piece, but we all care about the damn town, you know, that then that gives them a reason to, we're the capable people here. We've got to stand together for me to get what I want. I'm going to help you get what you want. Um, but that's a sort of organic way to build towards the players having to learn to trust one another uh, just because, you know, you don't want the exact same thing, but your interests all are tied to keeping this place together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and even if it's not to each other, it's at least to the place right. and the people and the place itself. 
But that also is a good way, and and this touched on, uh, you know, what you have with the background cards, but it's also a simple way, you know, you can just do it very casually. Uh, just you're starting with your party, you're making your session zero, you're, uh, you know, all coming up with, with your different ideas. You can always just do it as a very simple, uh, you know, okay player. How does your character know the character to your left? Right. Right. What's your connection? Right. And part of it is because if you do say, oh, we fought together in the war, then saying, and you're the only person I trust in this, you know, this crap hole, uh, sort of is a, a thing of, yeah, trust doesn't come easily here. Mm-hmm. Knowing that, that you and I at least have had each other's backs in the past, uh, that's a strong foundation to work with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've used that one number, a number of times in my campaigns. Um, cool. Is it, uh, well, we're, we're kind of nearing the end here mm-hmm. and, uh, I want to give anybody an opportunity to, uh, chime in with any last thoughts before we wrap up. Uh, listeners, please don't ask us how to turn the lights off for a noir campaign. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, speaking of that, um, I, I, I think one of the reasons why I, I initially struggled with noir when I first picked up Eberron was because visually, when you look at the Eberron campaign setting, it's very bright. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, and it's, and it's very focused on the artwork seems very it's focused always raining on insurance. Well, it's always raining insurance. Steve Prescott, Although right? Technically they don't show it that yeah. way. No, yeah. no, and, uh, but, but it is very like, you know, and you see a lot of the exotic locations in, in throughout that book. Um, I would love to see with whatever book Wizards of the coast comes out in the future. Um, some darker imagery and, mm-hmm. within that book. I think that would, I think that would help visually. But, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, um, unless anybody has any other thoughts, we'll mm-hmm. go ahead and wrap up. Yep. All right. Uh, well, thank you for listening. And be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone, where you can find subscription links to our show, post comments on an episode. You can find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Uh, whatever option you prefer, just let us know what you think of the show. And uh, join us next time as we explore the realm of Droam and its inhabitants. Mm. So I know Keith is going to have a lot to say about that. So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. He's got a number of articles that he's written and uh, and such. So hard to get me to shut up is what we're saying. Pretty much, pretty <laughs> much. But we're glad to have you. So, uh, so until next time, keep exploring. <laughs>